From deep in the heart of Central Texas, it's the Best of the Outdoors podcast, brought to you by Texas Fish and Game Magazine, the voice of the Texas Outdoor Nation. I'm your humble host, Dustin Von Warnke, author, outdoor writer, videographer, speaker, blogger, and podcaster, and I am so excited that you've taken the opportunity to download our show or listen to it online, however you are listening. Thank you so much for doing so. Man, I'm fired up. We just got back this week from a fishing trip with Roy Simmons, who's one of our Texas Fishing Game Hotspot guides. I do his reports every month in the magazine. And uh, he had been writing about um, fishing being pretty hot out there on Richland Chambers, his lake. And um, I really wanted to go check it out. And my father-in-law back in February booked a trip knowing that the action was going to be pretty hot this time of year. And this is the week, uh, the first full week of June, that my son Jackson, who's seven years old, is out of school all week. And uh, so we decided to make a trek there on Monday of this week and then I'm releasing the show and uh, had an absolute blast. Caught our limit by 10 a.m. Gone Fishing Guide Service is Royce and Adam Simmons' guide service business and uh, they have a very good business on Lake uh, Richland Chambers and we just slayed the white bass and the hybrids. Uh, water was boiling all around us with the white bass and the hybrids uh, attacking the shad and they're boiling on the top of the water. If you've never seen that, it is a sight to behold. It is absolutely awesome and uh, really had a good time fishing with him. He did great with my son uh, Jackson, helping him cast out some of the bait casters and some of the bigger rod and reel rigs that he had out there for us to use. And we didn't even slab off the bottom. We caught all of our fish off top water. Uh, not off topwater lures, but of uh, retrieving slabs and jigs, kind of in a rig, uh, rig scenario, uh, back to the boat, and had an absolute blast out there. He cleaned all our fish, Royce did, and just was a great guide. So I really enjoyed having uh, time with him, and uh, time with my son, and time with my father-in-law, Joe, in the outdoors, and uh, this could not be a better start to the week. So I'm really fired up, and I hope you're fired up about the outdoors. This week I have Chester Moore Jr. on the podcast as our guest, and I talked about him in the last show. Really excited to have him on the show because I've been on his radio show before. He's been on our podcast before here at uh, The Best of the Outdoors, and uh, really enjoyed having him on this week because he has got some great talk about conservation and great points about getting kids involved in the outdoors about conservation issues in the gulf of mexico and the variety of species you may not have thought about or heard about being in the gulf of mexico before jester's going to shed a lot of light on that as well so before i get too deep into the podcast please be sure to subscribe to our show Please be sure to check out our newsletters. They come out three times a week, Tactical Tuesday, Wildlife Wednesday, and the Texas State of the Outdoor Nation newsletter, which comes out um, every Thursday. And uh, so that's the kind of the middle part of the week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you get a lot of content. It's kind of like getting a mini magazine, a lot of blog posts for you to read in there, and just a lot of fun to be had in that regard. So anyway, check out those newsletters. Also, if you've not done so, please subscribe to the podcast and give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. That helps our iTunes audience big time to be able to find us and uh, helps us get some more exposure and we really appreciate adding new texas listeners and listeners really all over the world to this show and um uh, that would mean the world to me so if you go on itunes and give us a five-star rating and review i would greatly appreciate that that will help the show grow in new ways okay now before we start this interview i want to apologize last podcast i had some pretty you know annoying 
sound effects, as I call them, in the uh, kind of metered static in the podcast recording of the phone call because I had to use an app that's almost obsolete now in recording the phone call. This week, there's a little bit of a popping noise in our phone call, but I've got my new adapter for recording phone calls that I plug into the iPhone and... Um, and record calls that way but i do apologize there's a little bit of static or not really static more like poppy noise but you can still hear us both fine so i decided to run with it again i didn't want to stop our recording to uh to redo the call so uh apologize for that but it's it's just mildly annoying uh you can still hear everything that we're both saying and i think you'll enjoy the show here we go all right so joining me on the phone today is chester moore from texas fishing game how are you doing today chester I'm doing good, man. Just kind of, it's rainy outside and stormy. I was actually going to be out shark fishing today, but um, chose to work on some Texas fishing game stuff and some wildlife conservation things, and uh, also hang out with my daughter a little bit, keeping the priorities right around here. Absolutely, that's awesome. Um, so the Gulf of Mexico obviously is diverse. Uh, there's a lot of different species that live in the Gulf, and uh, it's it's huge, obviously too. Uh, what are your thoughts of um, of conservation topics around the Gulf? Well, you know, the Gulf of Mexico doesn't get the uh, play it should in the national media. I mean, if you if you watch Nat Geo, if you watch Animal Planet, you watch any of these programs, other than maybe the BP oil spill and its fallout, you don't really see anything about the Gulf. It's always the North Atlantic. It's always the Indian Ocean, the Pacific, maybe the Atlantic. Nothing on the Gulf. A lot on the Caribbean, nothing on the Gulf. So... I thought that, you know, I've always lived on the Gulf Coast. I've always been fascinated by, by, by the creatures of the Gulf Coast. And there are a lot of very specific things that need conservation awareness. So this summer, I have launched a program called Wild Gulf. It's taking um, my work with uh, children in our Kingdom Zoo ministry, our kids in our Wild Wishes program, where we grant exotic animal encounters for kids who have a terminal illness or loss of parenting, as, as well as other kids we're mentoring, partnering with what I'm doing with my wildlife journalist project and Texas Fish and Game to raise awareness to key things about wildlife in the Gulf of Mexico. And in the current June issue, what I want to do is kind of launch a few things the very first day of the kickoff, June 1st. It'll make people go, wow, I didn't know we had that in the Gulf of Mexico. And we have an article in the June issue of Texas Fish and Game called Texas Tentacles about <laughs> octopus. In the Gulf of Mexico. I Did you know it. we had octopus in the Gulf, Dustin? Not until I heard it on your radio show. <laughs> yeah, there you go, man. So, um, you know, we have uh, several species of octopus in the Gulf, and we talk with the people from the Flower Gardens Bank National Marine Sanctuary, which is about 115 miles from the coast of Galveston. It's the world's northernmost coral reef. And wow. we talked about the wonderful, uh, diverse octopus species. We have some photos of some there. Also, talk with fishermen who've actually caught some octopus. And if you read the story in the June issue, you'll see the killer way it starts off with a guy catching what he thinks is a mayonnaise jar offshore. <laughs> Turns out to be an octopus. you got to read this. <laughs> I've, so, read it. Uh, I've read that part of it. I just read the beginning of it. I haven't read the whole yeah, article, but I love the way you man. opened it. <laughs> That's it's great. pretty funny. But, you know, letting people know, wow, there's that kind of stuff in the Gulf, you know. I think the, the hook and bullet crowd of fishermen can think of the Gulf as pretty much being Red snapper, maybe mahi-mahi sharks and then the inland redfish specks and flounder. And I think the general, maybe wildlife-loving public may look at it for Atlantic bottlenose dolphins or something. But we don't realize there's an incredible amount of diversity, and we need to do our best to keep the Gulf waters clean, you know, make sure we're doing the right things for our wildlife habitat, not only in the Gulf, but in the bays and estuaries 
that feed them. And that's what wild golf is all about. That's what we do at Texas Fish and Game is lead in all aspects of wildlife conservation and in coming into the state of Texas out to the Gulf of Mexico. Uh, that's that's incredible. And one of the um, features that you did, I believe, in the May issue, or it could have been, uh, yeah, I think it was the May issue, was Guy Harvey, who you and I both met at the Bassmaster Classic this year. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely incredible. Dr. Guy Harvey, if you've ever seen the awesome shirts that people wear with marlins and sea turtles and redfish and sharks, probably a Guy Harvey art. He is the world's top premier marine art um, uh, creator in the world, and he has this incredible brain. He also has a Guy Harvey uh, Ocean Foundation for conservation. He's like the modern Jacques Cousteau. We got to meet him. And I did an article in the May issue of Texas Fishing Game about the oceanic white tip shark. They did a lot of research on that. You can actually download his documentary on it. He did on iTunes. It's a really interesting documentary. And in 1969, there was a consortium of scientists, and they said that the, the, the world's most populous, large animal on the planet, of all the fauna on the planet, over 100 pounds, was the oceanic white tip shark. Uh, extremely abundant in the ocean, in the open ocean, and that included the Gulf of Mexico. Since that time, the oceanic white tip shark has decreased 99% in the Gulf of Mexico. Mm. I 99% thought to such an extent, I've been fishing the Gulf heavily for 25 years. I have never seen an oceanic white tip. I've never seen a photo come through Texas fishing game with someone who caught one. I've never known anyone who's actually seen an oceanic white tip out there. They have been obliterated by the longline fishery targeting for their large fins out in that open water. So uh, we're trying to raise awareness of that. Dr. Harvey's doing some research on tagging in the Caribbean. There's still a remnant population of those. And um, it was really interesting to look at that because sharks are vital to the ocean. They have a cleanup system of the ocean. Uh, but, dear Lord, we put all this stuff out there for a reason. Sharks are the apex predator. And you yes. can't take the apex predators out without screwing the system up. Exactly, exactly. You need those apex predators just like you do on land with, with you know, four-legged species. You need those apex predators to keep everything in check. Would you agree? I agree. And it's interesting. We did an article, I think about two years ago, I did about coyotes and deer management. And there's actually a couple of studies out there um, that said for people who aren't managing deer behind high fences on fairly large tracts of open land, the best thing to do with your coyote population is leave them. They'll manage your deer for you. And I thought that, <laughs> I thought that was awesome because it flies in the face of what we hear all the time. Yes. But it's scientifically proven. There's a reason they're out there. We'll gripe about deer populations. It will wipe out every coyote that was out there, right? Yeah. Uh now, I know coyotes obviously cause a lot of problems for people who have deer ranches and things like livestock, and there's certainly control and balance. But the, the, the point is, going back to whether it's a four-legged predator or one with fins, is there's a purpose for it in a niche it fills in nature. Right. Exactly. And I mean, that's one thing about God's creation. You and I have talked about this off, off air before, you know, is that everything has a purpose, doesn't it, Chester? It really does, you know, and uh, the purpose could be um, to keep a certain other species in check. Yes. Uh, the purpose could be um, to stop the spread of diseases by killing sick and wounded animals, uh, you know, from carcasses laying around and stuff like that. There's always something interesting. And I'll tell you what, to me, another purpose of these creatures in the Gulf is to inspire 
people to go out and study and learn, or maybe fish or dive or whatever the use they have. And the Gulf is just rich in incredible biodiversity that no one's talking about except us. Right, right. Isn't that funny? <laughs> but we're making a big deal out of it with the magazine, with the podcast, with, you know, all fronts kind of, right? Yeah, and you can check out me at the Wild Life Journalist blog, wildlifejournalist.com, the Wild Life Journalist on Facebook, and you'll see all the in-depth, meaty stuff will be at Texas Fishing Game this summer. No, that's great. And I've checked out your website a few times now. Um, I've got to remind the audience, we have a Tactical Tuesday newsletter, a Wildlife Wednesday newsletter, which is Chester's uh, content, and then we have the big Thursday State of the Outdoor Texas, State of the Texas Outdoor Nation newsletter. And uh, the Wednesday newsletter is, is of special interest to me because of the diversity of things that you talk about on your wildlife blog. Well, you know, I'm the guy who goes out in the field, whether I've been hunting or fishing, I'm just as fascinated with the ringtail that I saw crawl out of a, a, a hole in an oak tree and watch me for an hour before dark one night in Menard County as I was the buck I shot that evening. Yes. Uh, it's part of being out there and being part of nature. You know, I was the guy who saw Jaws and want to go in the water. You know, I was that, I was that kid, you know. You know, my dad talked about 1975, Jaws comes out, he was fishing the surf at McFadden and Padre Island, all these areas, and they would wade up to their neck and catch as far as they could, right? right. He said, Jaws comes out, they're wading to their knees. Uh, it was a different <laughs> scenario. People didn't think about sharks before Jaws came out no. that much. And um, now, it's something omnipresent, but I'm going to share something really cool. Did you know there are great whites in the Gulf of Mexico? And not only great whites in the Gulf, an increasing number of them. Wow. That is really cool. I mean, I, I had an inkling that they were there, but not in the, you know, not enough to take enough notice to really read and, and study about them like what you're doing. Well, I'm not a jealous man. I have no jealous clothes in my body. There's one guy on the planet I'm jealous of right now. It's oh. a cat last year, probably last February, February of 16, actually, but it's about almost a year and a half ago, caught the first ever known great white from the surf. Oh, my gosh, from the surf. A, <laughs> Twelve and a half foot great white in Panama City, Florida, in the Gulf of Mexico, and thank God the guy was a one who tagged the sharks. He caught, so he tagged and released this great white and photographed oh, it. My. And what's happened is, you know, we talk about conservation. If you read Texas Fishing Game twenty five years ago, you would learn that the removal of gill nets in Texas and Louisiana along the Gulf Coast is what helped spawn the revolution of speckled trout and redfish we're seeing now because they're no longer handling them with the gill nets. The first thing. Well, that was all along the Gulf and Atlantic coast. So what happens is I talk with the people from O-Search. If you want to have your mind blown and be addicted to something, go to O-Search, O-C-A-R-C-H dot org. They are the ones who put satellite transmitters in sharks. And they had great white tags. And we had a couple, a couple years ago come into the Gulf that were tagged. And I'm telling you, man, they were making their way toward Texas. Never mind, turn back around. I was going to have an oil slick of Menhaden tuna oil the size of the Exxon Valdez out there <laughs> if they came to Sabine Pass. And I'm going to make a makeshift cage or something, and I'm going to be out there, you know, photographing this thing. <laughs> but uh, I digress. Um, but what happened is the great whites in the Atlantic population are typically born off of Cape Cod, mm-hmm. that area. And when they're young, they're talking about a shark that's born very large, you know. They grow up along, they, they feed in the shallower waters along the coast all the way historically into the Gulf Coast region. But they got all of those sharks were getting hammered by the gillnet fishers. They're getting caught in gillnets. 
and um, there's records of a lot of them caught steelheads. And what and, and it's, it, being the apex of apex sharks, sure. they're naturally not going to be tons of them anyway, right? right? They keep themselves out of existence. Sure. So what happened was 20, 25 years ago, gill netting was banned in most of these areas. There's still remnants, there's still poaching and things, but 90% of gill netting is gone. And what happens is the great white takes 10 years to become sexually mature, 9 to 10 years. So you have two generations of great whites that have grown up that haven't had gill nets to contend with, which is the reason we're seeing more of these sharks. And most of them are juvenile, quote-unquote, 12-foot juvenile sharks coming into the Gulf of Mexico. And it's really, really interesting. So what, what an interesting story. I wrote a story for Tide Magazine. That's CCA's magazine. Yes. But I was still doing a lot of freelance in 2005 called Jaws in the Gulf, right? <laughs> And, and I had people telling me I was crazy because I had some anecdotal evidence and a little bit of scientific evidence from old, long-line record studies. And voila, the Jaws is in the Gulf. And I may be the only guy in the world happy about it because I want to see one. <laughs> I love it. That's awesome. <laughs> and one of the things that you're really into is uh, wildlife photography. Will you tell us some more about that, Chester? Dude, I absolutely just love wildlife photography. I mean, me and my wife both do. Uh, we've mentored some young people in wildlife photography. Um, our friend Abby, who is going into uh, her and her sister Rachel, are girls that we have mentored in second grade. Whoa. They're now going in the ninth grade. Very close to our family. They're twin sisters. Um, they're working on a project to the Vaquita Porpoise. You can check out the Wildlife Journalist blog at wildlifejournalist.com. But Abby's the photographer of the bunch. Rachel's the animal explorer. And we're doing a project coming up real soon. We'll be photographing a bunch of stuff in the Gulf. But, you know, the thing is, I think photography is one of the great elements of wildlife conservation because you can capture moments and inspire people, capture things. And in 2010, I was just across the border from Texas at Lake Calcasieu, Louisiana, and I'd heard about a pink albino dolphin that lived there. Okay. Well, I'm filming a television show, Big Water Adventures with Mark Davis, and all of a sudden, about a quarter mile away, this pink dolphin jumps out from the school of mullet, and I look at him and say, the fishing is over, until I get a picture of that thing. <laughs> and so I went, I got a photograph of this pink dolphin, and we're about, we're about to do another expedition to get more photos of the pink dolphin over there, and we actually have a blog up that went live today at the Wildlife Journalist about uh, the pink dolphin presence in the Gulf of Mexico. And one of our people who was in contact with me provided a great video of a pink dolphin that they got going on a launch ship, one of the ships that takes them to the oil rigs. So um, cool stuff, man. Pink albino dolphins that you know we had them in the Gulf. Most people, and I've been, I've, I've, we actually took Abby and Rachel and another couple of girls, uh, my friend Scott Bandy, who is on the board of, uh, I think it's the board of CCA school, three years ago, four years ago now, and I was able to capture some video. That's also on the blog of the pink dolphin. So, you know, the Atlantic bottlenose dolphin is, uh, is, is pretty common along the Gulf Coast, and I've been actually talking a lot with the Texas Marine Mammal Stranding Network. And um, if people come across a dolphin that's sick, acting weird or whatever, Make sure and contact those guys, you know, because we're talking about things today, and I thank you for this opportunity and platform and your wonderful podcast, all the great work you do on your podcast. Thanks. So, so let me talk about this. This is the dark side of some of this, and we actually mentioned, I wrote about this, and I think it was the March Texas fishing game, and that was the poaching of a dolphin. In my home county, about six miles from my house, there was an Atlantic bottlenose dolphin shot with a fishing arrow. 
Oh, wow. And, um, yeah, some, you know, it's unbelievable that someone goes, hey, let's shoot a dolphin. Because that's really going to help a lot. I mean, it was unbelievable. These teenage teenagers, and they were of age teenagers, they got in real trouble. Sure. Shot a dolphin. Two of these dolphins, a year was pretty salty, went way up in the bayous and went, went into fresh water. And the dolphin will eventually get sick in fresh water. The one got killed. The other one was still um, kind of meandering around and getting sick, and somebody saw it. And they contacted the Texas Marine Mammal Stranding Network to come and got that dolphin. I interviewed Chris Bettles with SeaWorld and their rescue team. SeaWorld San Antonio helps a lot with this. And they were able to determine that that dolphin was going to live if they gave it you know, antibiotics and treated it a little bit. And they took it out and released it at Sea Rim State Park. So um, there is poaching and issues like that that come around. But, you know, marine mammals are a great thing to talk about. I mean, the West Indian manatee. Manatees come into Texas. Mm. Wow. And I, I had the pleasure of snorkeling with manatees three different times. Um, in, in the Crystal River in Florida, one of the cool, and I've been to the mountain when it comes to wildlife encounters, and that was way up toward the peak right there, just incredible. And those things will, will cruise down the intercoastal waterway, end up in different areas. Captain Eddie Hernandez, who writes our hotspot book, Mr. Bean Lake, called me on my radio program two summers ago and said, dude, we were just looking at a manatee in <laughs> Sabine Jetties. And I thought that was so cool. I love those kind of live reports. But uh, the SeaWorld Rescue Team, and the Texas Marine Mammal Stream Network removed one a couple of years back from an outfall canal at a, at a, at a plant in Trinity Bay. Um, so people might think there's some giant blob-like creature out there. That's a manatee, and that's part of the wildlife that we have here in the Gulf of Mexico. Going to fish in Fort Mansfield, a lot of seagrass flats down there. They love to eat seagrass. There are actually manatee warning signs in the harbor there. Hmm. Because they have been seen in there a few times. So what we're trying to do is all in, in the in the July issue, don't miss it. It's all about marine mammals in the Gulf. And um, we're trying to make people appreciate this. If people think, wow, there are manatees here. There are octopus here. There are all these incredible animals. They may be more inspired to help causes. Because we've got, we, you know, Texas Fishing Aid partners a lot with CCA. Yes, yes, it and does. CCA has done a lot of great work for sports fish, but they're doing some wonderful things now for habitat. Right. Uh, we have an article coming with August about the incredible work they're doing for oysters. And oyster habitat is so crucial to all of the above here of what we're talking about. So we, we salute everyone who works for whether it's stranded marine mammals or works toward the, the health of our waters and the health of our base systems. And CCA is doing a great job right now working on the health of our base systems. No, that's great. I mean, and, and the one thing I ran into, you know, to, to switch gears real quick, I ran into a uh, – a hunter the other day on the Texas Hog Hunters Association Facebook group, which I'm a part of. And, uh, you know, he was saying, well, if I do this and do this and do this, I don't have to have a hunting license. Right. And I, I just, there are a bunch of people that kind of jumped on the bag wing and the bandwagon and just kind of dogpiled on them and said, Hey, that's not, you know, but I said, listen, that is supporting conservation. Every time you buy one of those licenses, I mean, am I right? Yeah, what happens is there's a Pittman-Robertson Act, right? Uh, that, you know, and there's uh, and there's another one as well. And these acts would take excise taxes from sporting goods, like you know, and and put toward conservation, land, paying for game warden fees, refuges, management. In our own state of Texas, you take this money. That's what pays for your state game wardens, yes. a lot of your research, all of these things, and and that goes to conservation. You know, I mean, of course, people say, well, not all of it does. Well. That's the reality of humanity. 
But the fact is, if you look in, in North America, if you look at the United States of America in particular, and you compare the amount of species that we still have here and the quality of habitat to anywhere in the world, yes, we win. And a lot of that is because of hunter and fisherman dollars and excise taxes and things like that. To me, the challenge is this. We have come to a place because of politics, and, we, and, we, and we've come to believe there are actually two sides out there, <laughs> yes. which is a joke. Right. All right? Uh, at the national scene, it's not much basically one group of people that really call the shots, right? But I digress. Mm-hmm. I could go on a whole show about that. <laughs> no, you could. But, <laughs> but what happens here is people think, well, I can't support this group because – you know, who wants clean water because that's environmentalism, and I am a conservationist who fishes or a conservationist who hunts or whatever. And I say that is idiotic. And the reason it's idiotic because there is nothing that's green or, you know, or environmental wacko about wanting to have water that doesn't cause cancer. Right. You know? Exactly. I mean, we want to have clean water. Now, we don't support groups that support animal rights and want to restrict everything from pet ownership to killing feral hogs, right? That is not good conservation. But, man, groups like the Nature Conservancy are doing incredible jobs. Of buy- I was just on a, a piece of property of 2,000, 2,200 acres refuge in Texas City where everything else is turned into industry. Mm-hmm. They preserve this incredible piece of land. Right. So, I think we have to realize that, hey, you know, clean water, clean air, abundant species isn't, is, is an American uh, thing that we want. We, we as Americans, if you just polled people and took the politics away from it, right. do you want clean air? Yes. Do you want clean water? Yes. Do you want abundant wildlife? I think everyone would agree on that. Yes. And so I think we've got to find ways that we have the opportunity to do this. Because I have such a voice beyond just hook and bullet. I've got the whole gamut out there in a lot of different ways through radio and internet and everything else to say, hey, look, the hunting side's done an amazing job on conservation. The other side's done an amazing job on like maybe some land conservation and some other stuff like this. Let's use whatever money, resources, talent that we have to make sure that all of our wildlife and and, and I, I've even written this in the magazine before. I got a I got a novel concept of what to do with some of this money. Now I know they're gonna, probably not going to listen to Chester here. But if they are listening, powers to be. We're listening. Okay? All right, here. Stop the white-tailed deer antler research. Yes. Okay? Who freaking cares? We got it <laughs> taken care of. I saw a deer on a private ranch that was raised at a 400 Boone and Crockett rack. Oh I mean, gosh. they won't be able to carry their heads around if it gets any bigger. So let's take, stop taking public money on that and stop taking public money on, you know, whatever on redfish that we've given or, or bass or whatever and let's maybe put it on some habitat that will benefit other species as well yes. as well as the deer as well as everything else not maybe just research. the favorite species exactly right. yeah because we've done that stuff in spades and done an amazing job now let's branch out a little bit and i'm telling you something i talk to a lot of non-hunters out there and if the hunting community were to do something that would greatly impact the PR of the hunting community to the non-hunters. I'm not talking about anti-hunters. I'm talking about people who are on the fence. Yes. They would take some of this money and help species that we don't shoot. Right. Right? Right. And endangered species. And it would do incredible work. Now, the thing is, all of those species are benefiting from land purchases and all that, from hunting dollar stamps, ducks unlimited and delta. I mean, Rocky Mountain elk, 
I mean, that's all incredible. What I'm saying is, let's just come together for wildlife conservation, period, because I want to be a good steward of all of it. And right now, I'm so inspired about the Gulf of Mexico. You know, really, Dustin, what got me on the Gulf of Mexico What's thing that? was a video I saw about three years ago. And of course, I've written literally, literally hundreds of published articles on the Gulf of Mexico for years. But I saw a video of some fishermen who were one of these really distant oil rigs that are way out in the Gulf. Yes. Got a pot of orcas, a pot of killer whales in the Gulf. Oh, my gosh. And I'm like, dude, that's like the most awesome. That's the second person I'm jealous of, by the way. The guy got the orcas on video in the Gulf. But, um, and I thought, wow, orcas in the Gulf. Yes. Amazing. Incredible. What diversity we have. Because here's the thing. We've got to inspire young people to trade in their Xbox for the tackle box. Yes. Yes, we do. We've got to inspire young people to take what they're seeing on the electronic devices and go apply it to real life. And that is, I work with young people. My wife and I, our, our life is dedicated to Christ, kids, and wildlife. That's our entire life right there. And we work with kids every day at some level. And it's hard to get people because there's so much stimuli electronically, like things you can get into and do, right? Yes. And right. fun games and all this kind of stuff and, and Snapchat or whatever we're doing out there. Right. But the fact is, we've got to turn some of these people into the conservationists of the next generation. And I think if we can target them with the wildlife part and let them know all this stuff's out there, it may be the bridge that we can build to the next generation. Yes. And I think it's important. We have to look for, we have to look way out in the future. And I support Rory Neves and Arya Neves, the Texas Fish Game, and the owners for being people who are allowing us to have these forward-thinking articles and things that we're doing in podcasts and all these things yes. to reach that next generation. Absolutely. And I mean, I've talked about that many times on the show before, Chester, is, is the, you know, kids that hunt and fish don't steal and deal. And, yep. you know, that, that, that the next generation is the future of this sport of hunting and fishing and outdoor pursuits. I mean, and to your point about, you know, conservationists, you know, one side versus the other, you know, and us uniting together, a lot of anti-hunters and anti-fisher people are, are kind of preservationists, not conservationists. Does that make sense? Yeah, there has been that term thrown around a lot. There are people who just want to leave it there. Right. You know? But the other side is we have plenty of idiots on our side, too. We got the people shooting dolphins with fishing arrows. Yes. We have we have the guys who are out there poaching the bald eagles. And we have, right. you know, we got that side of it, which gives us such a negative light. Um, and the, the problem is on the, on the animal rights side, you have to, and I think, that, I think we've done a poor job as an industry in educating the general public on yes. the difference between preservation and conservation. You know? I agree. And, and the thing is, I don't really care if, and it's going to sound crazy for a guy who works in the fishing industry, I don't really care if the kid gets an Italy in the hunting system. If you can just get them outside at this point, yes, and get them out in the wild with a camera, take the, this really great iPhone adaptation with lenses and stuff, you can yes. take incredible iPhone photos, right? Yes. Get them doing that stuff, and then maybe they'll get hooked on fishing or whatever else it is. We just, we've gotten so far that we just have to get the kids outside, period. Exactly. Exactly. And to your point, I just took my son, um, who's, who's almost going to be eight here pretty soon in a couple of months, but he is finishing up second grade. And I took him fishing Saturday, uh, no, Sunday and Monday of the Memorial Day weekend holiday. And we caught, um, 
I think I told you this off here. I we we caught about uh, eleven panfish, you know, perch, sunfish, bluegill, whatever you want to call them, brim, um, at a uh, at a little local park. And then we went to another park the next day, and we didn't catch the same amount of fish. We just we got some bites, but no connections. And he was like, "Man, this is hot, and this is everything." I said, "Son, this is fishing. This is life. This is the outdoors. This is what I want you to. I just want you to embrace this, you know, because it's not all about the catching. It's about the the communion with nature you know and i think that uh and, and communicate you know communion with god and, and 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 jesus and all the different you know parts that come with with nature what nature offers is natural you know it's not artificially programmed in some digital package you know it's it's just there for us to enjoy well i salute you for being a father caring about his son taking about nature thank you that's a wonderful thing because i had that dad my dad's no longer with me my dad died on a year home trip with me I uh, had a major heart attack, cleaning the second biggest buck he saw of his life. And, um, you know, I'll never forget when we were able to process that deer, eat that deer. It was like spending time with that again, right? Because sure. we took what we hunt. My family didn't hunt because of trophies. We hunted because we liked to eat venison. Yes. We liked to eat fish. And we had a wonderful time doing it, right? Don't get me wrong. Sure. But I don't, my dad had a very tender heart toward nature. My dad, um, when that last hunt he went on, the ranch was like, you know, you see javelina out there, you can shoot one and put him on the stand. He's already shot a beard. And Dad didn't shoot the javelina. He saw a bunch of them. <laughs> he watched through the scope. Said, I don't want to have nothing against the javelina. Right? <laughs> you don't want to clean the stinky thing anyway, right? Right. And he says, I'm going to get a picture for my son and for the kids he works with. And they all ran off and got the camera. They stood for the rifle, ran for the camera. And then the one javelina comes out by itself. He snaps the photo of that javelina. Uh-huh. Well, he tells me about this a few minutes before he passed away. And then I'm driving out that ranch, 10 o'clock at night. I have to drive seven hours home. My mom and them already knew what happened. And I'm like, man, I just lost my, my, my outdoors partner. Sure. I said, God, show me a sign that it's going to be okay. Yeah. So I drive out the ranch gate, and I pull out the ranch, and a lone javelina steps in the road in front of me Whoa. and won't move. Yeah. That's deep. But I had a dad that had an impact. And he was, he was someone who believed in conservation. He was someone who believed in um, taking care of our resources. And he liked seeing a fox on a hunting trip sure. as much as he liked seeing a white-tailed buck. Mm-hmm. And I think we got to get back to the appreciation for nature and stop having everything be, you know, hey, let's have another collection of 400 kill shots in one YouTube video. Right. You right. know, uh, let's let people know that the kill shot may not even happen yeah. in your real life. But you may be able to experience something that changes your life. Or if you're fishing, as we've been talking about the Gulf of Mexico, man, you may not get that big, giant bull dolphin, you know, mahi. My best thing because we're talking about marine mammals. We're not talking right. about slippers. We're talking about mahi, mahi, mahi dorado. Right, right. One of the tastiest things the Lord ever created, by the way. Uh-huh. Um, and you may miss that big fish. You may not hook up, or you may not hook up with that marlin or whatever it is. Or sure. you got your little pathetic three-day snapper season that's open, and you might get your window <laughs> to go catch snapper in your three-day season, right? That's right. But you can be out in the open waters of the Gulf. You right. can see Atlantic bottom of the Gulf. Man, you may throw your cast net in the bay and catch a little uh, jellyfish or something you can show your kids. It's always an opportunity to experience greatness when you go out beyond the pavement. You go out into the wild. And you embrace those things. You know, Henry David Thoreau, the great naturalist, said, wow, this is a preservation of the world. And I couldn't agree more. Oh, I, I agree 100% with you. And you and I have talked off air quite a bit about, you know, getting your kids easy wins. There's an article coming out in the um, 
in the uh, August issue about kayaking for kids or kayaking with kids. And I basically talked about easy wins and, and having, you know, just fun out there and not making it about the biggest or the best or the largest or whatever, you know, um, situation, you know, one of the most memorable experiences I had with my son recently was having, um, uh, reeling in a bluegill. This is back last September. And we had a bass come up and just grab it out of the air as we have it, you know, transferred between water and land and just ran off with it. <laughs> See, that's better than any catch. Yes. You'll never forget that. <laughs> that's what I'm he saying. Saw predator and prey, man. We about both had a heart attack, but yeah, you're right. It taught the predator and prey. And that's what I try to teach him about animals. You know, God designed different animals with our eyes, you yep. know, to see far forward. We're predators. If we have eyes peripherally on the you know, sides of our heads, we're prey, you know, I mean, it's by design that way. And that's, that's vitally important. I think. Absolutely, man. That's a great lesson. That kid will never get that, man. No. I'm always a guy jealous of like the guy that goes fishing and like the giant tiger shark eats his, you know, mahi mahi. I would share my mahi mahi if I could get a video. Of that, That's right. Know? That's right. You share some of the fish, right? <laughs> I share some of that fish to get the video, the photos of that. You know, I'd be uh -huh. like, somebody hold the rod. I gotta get pictures. Yeah. But um, right. it's an incredible experience, and you can't get that in the house. No. We're talking about the wild gulf. And you can read these articles for June, July, August, Texas Fishing Game. The current one's called Texas Tentacles about octopus in the Gulf. Um, you can read my blog at wildlifejournalist.com. Check us out at Wildlife Journalist on Facebook. And when you get that Wildlife Wednesday newsletter, um, about once every, pretty much every week, we're going to have a Gulf of Mexico story in that Texas Fishing Game. So sign up for the Texas Fishing Game newsletter. We're expanding the view of the Gulf of Mexico. We're saluting what groups like CCA are doing. And we're trying to get people a look beneath the surface. Yes. The day that I look at the open waters of the Gulf and don't wonder what's under there, I'm going to quit what I'm doing because I won't be good at it. But the truth is I'll never not be curious because I'm just that way. I mean, I'm a wildlife journalist. That's what I do. My whole career I've been curious about what's in the woodlot down the street. And I'm certainly curious about There's a certain spot being Jays I've fished 200 times and – I just want to know what's at the bottom of that rock pile. <laughs> I mean, I just no, I, and that's what I honor about you, Chester. And I try to find something I honor about each guest on this podcast, but because you, you have that curiosity and one of the articles or one of the uh, columns that I saw you wrote uh, a couple of months, been a few months ago now is, was called what's out there. And yep. I think that was in a fall issue. And I really connected with you on that article because I was like, man, that really, that that's what we're really after out there. Isn't it? Yeah, man, you know, when you're out there and you're in the duck blind and you see something flying in, you're like, what is that? that? Doesn't look like a blue wing. It's a cinnamon teal, you know? <laughs> or, you know, you think you hooked up with a redfish, you know, ends up being a big jack. Right. Or, you know, whatever's going on out there. Maybe you tied up to that rig and you're sliding back in your rig hook and you got the current, you put your chum back over and you think, you know, we're probably going to catch some kingfish today and a 12-foot mako shark comes mm -hmm. up, right? Mm -hmm. yep. That's the cool stuff. Yes. What's out there, that's what we're trying to teach you with all these things. And um, we're going to be out there seeing lots of photos, lots of videos, some mind-boggling stuff. And the journey has just begun beneath the wild gulf. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, anything else to add, Chester? No, nah, man, just thank you, and thanks to everyone who listens to Dustin's podcast here at fishgame.com and to read Texas Fishing Game, whether it be fishgame.com or the magazine. Uh, we're, we're happy to be out here doing this. And uh, if you have an interesting story 
to relay or an interesting photo or video we can put in this series to raise awareness. We want you to help raise awareness. You can right. email me, seymour at fishgame.com. If you can't remember that, there's an easy one, chester at kingdomzoo.com. That gets to me, too. Uh, and we'll put that stuff out there. We'll put it on social media. We'll put it out there in the blog at the Texas Fish Game. And well, we'll share this stuff. We want you to be part of all of this because you can help raise awareness. And you might be the one that inspires the next Jacques Cousteau. You never yes. know. The next generation. That's what it's all about. That's it. Absolutely. And there he goes, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Chester Moore from Texas Fish and Game, our editor-in-chief, as well as our uh, editor on fishgame.com and uh, many other hats that he wears in the outdoor industry, kind of like me. He's got a lot of stuff going on uh, with with the things that he does. He runs a ministry called Wild Wishes, and uh, our Kingdom Zoo, rather, is his ministry name. And uh, Wild Wishes is one of the programs that he has for kids that uh, that have uh, kind of a wild wish to see something great in the outdoors or do something great in the outdoors. And just a great heart on that guy. I mean, just awesome. I just love working with him. I love the conversations that we have on and off air because he brings so much to the table in the way of conservation, wildlife, biology, all the great things that are in the outdoors that God created. I mean, he is, he is just all over them. And it's just a great guy to work with right there. Um, it really is. So uh, check out his newsletter, which is every Wednesday, called the Wildlife Wednesday Newsletter at fishgame.com. You can see his stories on the Wildlife Journalist blog, uh, which is wildlifejournalist.com or blog.wildlifejournalist.com is the best way to find that blog. And he's got a great little WordPress website here set up with the stories that he runs in the newsletter and, uh, and on fishgame.com as well. So definitely check out his stuff. Thank you so much again for listening. Thank you so much for checking out our show. If this is your first time, thank you so much for hanging in there. And uh, just please tell a friend about the show. Please help spread the word about the best of the outdoors. That helps us grow organically, which is always what we're after. And uh, really appreciate your time and listening to the show. I uh, really enjoyed the opportunity to share this with you and hope uh, Hope you will be inspired to go out and do some great things in the outdoors. And so thank you so much again for watching, reading, listening, all those things that you do to consume our content. We appreciate it. And uh, from all of us here at Texas Fish and Game, have an awesome day in the outdoors. Mm -hmm.